I think we have those conversations every day, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many business meetings I walk into where people are throwing around terminology that no one understands. And sometimes, you know, saying less, using simple words, listening more, and um, being empathetic within those conversations is much more effective than simply talking for the sake of talking. Hello and welcome to Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. This podcast is about conversations which I find we don't talk about very much. We talk about things like history or trends or data, but we don't often talk about conversations themselves and specifically what makes them wonderful and what makes them rubbish. My guest today is Shalini Gupta, a Canadian living and working in Chicago, where I had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know her when I lived there. She's been working in advertising agency side for the last 18 plus years. And when we spoke, she was managing an agency doing the marketing for the US Army. She shares how one of her early bosses has influenced how she leads today, how she makes space for people to express their feelings, to speak simply and to be present, and to focus on outcomes rather than ego or sounding smart. Patience under pressure may be an aspect she's working on, and who isn't. But in the meantime, there are things like empathy, acknowledgement and honesty that are very important to Shalini. Her focus is on making sure her people understand what's being discussed and know what to do with that information. She thinks before she speaks, so her words are intentional and succinct. You understand her very quickly. And there are at least a couple of wonderful tips to learn from Shalini's approach to team meetings, including how to align before the meetings and how you can know when everyone is ready to move forward. I began by asking Shalini who she communicates with every day. Of course, I support my team. So firstly, the people that are on the ground doing the work. I have peers across the agencies. Um, There's multiple other people that I engage with who influence the work that we're doing. Uh, My stakeholders are also part of my leadership team. So not only do I have to communicate with the folks on my team who work for me, but definitely the folks that I have to report into. And then let's not forget clients. Uh, Ultimately, they are uh, the people that we're here to service. So they're the ultimate stakeholder. Mm, Okay. And can you give us um, a little bit of an insight from your perspective? What are the needs of each of those stakeholders? Sure. In terms of my team, uh, the way I look at it is that they need support, transparent communication about what's going on so that they can see the forest through the trees and understand business priorities. Uh, My peers across other agencies really need to understand what it is that we are doing as a team so that their work can be integrated with the work that our team is doing. My leadership team, they really require an understanding of what we're doing on the ground and how it's going to impact the overall business. And then last but not least, our clients, they really need to know um, how we are going to affect their business and how we're going to meet their goals. Right. 
Okay. So lots of information exchange and um, managing expectations, I assume, in that kind of work? Very much. It's about being candid, transparent about what we're doing, managing expectations, clear, concise communication, uh, and making sure that everybody's running in the same direction without Mm. scissors. Without scissors? Yes, without scissors. <laughs> so um, what does, in that context then, Shalini, what does um, a better conversation look or feel like to you? I think the most effective or better conversations need to be simple Um I think having a simple conversation isn't as easy as it sounds. You think a simple conversation is communication A to B, but um, I think there's a lot of elements that go into that. I think a conversation has to be honest. There has to be a level of empathy that's involved. As I mentioned, it has to be clear and concise so that people really understand what they have to do. It's a combination of both listening and communicating. And at the end of the day, you're really there to inspire action or mutual understanding. So uh, that really becomes the building blocks of a relationship and, of course, um, the actual communication itself. And and I think that's interesting, your comment about it being simple. Um, there's a lot to take in and be aware of in that in those sorts of conversations. Um, you're measuring people's understanding and checking in and um, making sure that you know people are still running with you, as it were. So it is actually quite complicated, isn't it? It is very complicated. And it's not always intuitive how to communicate because everybody has a different style and a different level of understanding. So keeping it simple um, definitely removes some of those obstacles, but you're right. It's, it's a two-way, um, dialogue. And as I, as that two-way dialogue is happening, you really have to be conscientious in terms of how the other person or how the other people are reacting to you. Uh, and ultimately, uh, how that inspires action or how that inspires the next step, um, from them as well. Um, Curious as to um, who in your life has influenced your style of communication. One of my first bosses, um, he has very much taught me a lot of what I know, and he very much led by example. Um, What I saw him do on an everyday basis was simply walk up to someone and check in on them, say, how are you doing? And he was very authentic. He was empathetic. He was supportive. And simply by asking a few simple words, he could tell how that person was feeling, what their body language looked like. And he was honestly one of the best managers I've ever had. And he had built one of the highest functioning teams I have ever seen. Um, By that simple interaction that I had with him on a daily basis, it really taught me the value of simply sharing a few words, not saying that much, 
but getting a lot of information back uh, and knowing what to do next. That to me says, you know, he was exceptionally good at noticing, um, observing, and then listening um, to what people were saying. So asking the questions that would allow them to think something through maybe, or to, what, what do you think it was in, in his style? I think his style, like you mentioned, was very much about listening, about observing. Uh, his objective was to find what any risks may exist within the organization or any issues that may exist. And he made it a very open forum and a very simple one where he would say, how are you doing? And just from that touching base with everybody on the team, he would have a great pulse for what was happening on the floor on an everyday basis. And he knew what he had to do to make things run smoothly. The other thing that strikes me about that is um, the absence of ego. He may well have had an ego, but his presence showed something else, perhaps. His objective was not to uh, fluff up himself or, or definitely not his ego. I think his style and his objective was very much the whole of his team and ensuring that through those simple conversations, everybody was supported and running, running or um, on the same track forward to meet mm. the objectives of the business. It really wasn't about himself. He was really doing it for the greater good of the team. Right. Do you have an example, a personal example of um, where you had a really great conversation? It was actually with uh, the same boss who had those very, very simple conversations. And I've taken it with me for a lot of years. During one of those conversations, he came up to me and he said, how are you doing? And at that particular moment, I felt like I was inundated. There was a lot of work going on. Um, there was very much some conflict happening within the team, within the clients. And I spent a few minutes sharing my challenges and told him why I was so upset. And he asked me what I would do to resolve the issue. So he basically put it back on me. And I gave him an answer based on what I thought I should do. And he looks at me and he's like, great, you've got the answer. You know what to do. Shalini, control what you can control. And that simple phrase, control what you can control, made me feel like I was acknowledged. He understood the challenge. I was on the right path. And he acknowledge that I also have control of the situation and I know what to do next. So it was a very, very simple conversation, a very simple dialogue, but I had a lot of complexity behind it where um, he made me feel validated and that I knew what to do next. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, would you mind if I reflect to you what I heard in all of that? Of course. So, so clearly the guy has is, is great at listening. And um, what I loved about you explaining is he believed and trusted that you had the answers. And all he did was give you the space to perhaps talk it out loud. Um, and um, 
rather than tell you what to do. And this happens a lot for team leaders, right? Some A team member comes to them, I'm stuck on something. And the, the, the reaction or the tendency as a leader is to just give them the answer. And from my perspective, that limits someone's ability to grow. It limits the capability overall of your team. And so the fact that he put it back on you um, gave would have given you confidence, would have boosted you in terms of, okay, well, he trusts me to know what the answer is or what I should do. Um, and it's incredible how that type of a response can boost our ability and self-belief um, in a situation. In those moments, I can only imagine from the way you described what happened, that you went from feeling um, quite stressed and um, overwhelmed to feeling back in control, that your judgments and your decisions were the right ones. Am I, is that a fair thing to say? <laughs> Tell all, me if all, I all of misunderstood. That, all of that is very, very fair. And it led to a sense of empowerment, of trust, and action. It inspired me to continue moving forward and know that I was able to control the situation and work towards the outcome that we needed to get to. My stress levels dropped and my desire to move forward increased, which ultimately was better for the work that we needed to get done. It, that conversation, like I said, it stuck with me. It's been at least 12 years and it's something that I definitely um, aspire to represent when I am managing my teams today. Isn't it fantastic? It's almost like a gift um, that you had that experience and can pay it forward, right? Very much. And it's funny because there's many of us that have had similar experiences and grew up within that organization. And I can see the same characteristics from a lot of those people who grew up within that organization. And they've all moved on to be very, very successful because sometimes having a conversation is simply about listening and inspiring. I love that. Could we dive a little bit deeper? Because the, the, there's something I'm fascinated by, which is how our values show up. I'm wondering for you, which values of yours do you feel were honored by that kind of a conversation? If I, if I break down what values were honored, I think I value empathy, I value honesty, and um, the fact that someone is there to support me. Those characteristics or those values for me were what motivated me to keep going. I think the other thing that I'll say is that recognition is also a motivating factor uh, that was present in that conversation. So the combination of those values uh, really resonated and left a lasting impression. Yeah. Uh, and how wonderful. What's a rubbish conversation <laughs> to your mind? <laughs> it's a conversation that is overly complex that you don't necessarily understand. Uh, sometimes, you know, people speak in business jargon that is unnecessary and it doesn't really cut to the chase and it, and it involves an ego. Um, I think 
a conversation has to have acknowledgement. If there's no listening or collaboration, um, then it's very one-sided. So I think those are some of the characteristics that make a conversation pretty terrible. I think we have those conversations every day, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many business meetings I walk into where people are throwing around terminology that no one understands. And sometimes, you know, saying less, using simple words, listening more, and um, being empathetic within those conversations is much more effective than simply talking for the sake of talking. It's interesting you saying, you know, that they happen all the time, but they do really. Why do you think that is? You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned the word ego earlier on in our conversation. People really have the desire to stand out, certainly in the business world, and sound very, very, very smart in some of these settings because they're trying to impress their peers and say, hey, look, I really know about this stuff. And ultimately, perhaps on some level, people will hear all of these fancy conversations with business terminology and be like, oh, yeah, that person's super smart. I didn't understand a word that they said. And... I'm not really sure what the outcome of that is because at the end of the day, everybody walks out of that room and I think you have to prioritize, do I want to sound smart or do I want these people who are in the room with me to walk out of that room and one, understand what I said and two, um, do I want them to move forward in any certain outcome? And I think those two priorities are directly in conflict with each other. So the style has to be different uh, in order to achieve a result. Uh, I like how you describe that. And certainly, I I think this, e- this sense of ego, this sense of, of, of coming across smart actually puts on us a really unhelpful um, amount of pressure and stress, right, to perform, to be seen a certain way. Um, and it's distracting. Often I'm in conversation with people who are feeling that they are maybe being judged in a meeting situation and not sure that they have buy-in from people. And when we flip it to thinking about, well, what are you there to do? What's the, what's the job you're there to do? And how can you be doing that to the best of your ability? Sometimes just seeing it through that lens can take away that pressure to feel like you have to be smart or sound smart and actually allow you to perform, you know, take away that stress and let your brain actually focus on the task at hand, which is, you know, do these, does everyone understand me? Are we clear? Are we aligned? Um, And, you know, have I understood what they are after and what they need? What are your thoughts about that? I, very much agree with uh, your perspective on that. I think um, breaking down the barriers, seeing it from another perspective, and then ultimately knowing that your objective is to get to alignment and get to a result will definitely change the approach. But sometimes it's hard to see 
or understand how other people are feeling. So um, I think one of the characteristics I value and seek out on my team is EQ and empathy and and that that particular profile because I I find that having that skill on a team makes it more cohesive and definitely makes the team a lot more effective as it relates to moving forward. Yeah, it, it creates a lot of distracting buzz, doesn't it, when someone is trying to dominate. And it it means also, contrary to coming across as smart, you're missing a lot of information. You're missing a lot of clues in the room, around the table, and potentially even create risk because um, you're not listening. Exactly right. And and frankly, if you're missing those cues, when you walk out of that room, you may not you may not or will not get to your ultimate objective, which defeats the purpose of having that meeting in the first place. Given your role leading teams, how do you persuade people to come to a point of alignment? So my strategy is tried and true throughout my career. And I find that it takes time and preparation in order to persuade people to move in the same direction. So before I walk into any room, I make sure that I've already done the work so that the room and the meeting is simply an acknowledgement of conversations that I've had with people before they walk into the room. So understanding what those obstacles are with each person, identifying from a, a risk perspective who or what the biggest barriers are going to be and working through those objections before we walk into the room because trying to have that conversation in a room with a lot of people in real time ultimately in my mind causes doubt within an environment and it really isn't necessarily effective uh, to getting from point A to point B. So my approach is is preparation outside of the room and then the meeting is simply used for acknowledgement. And how long can that preparation be? I think it depends on the size of the problem. So uh, sometimes it can be 10 minutes. Sometimes it's a matter of, you know, having a quick chat or sending a quick email and and getting acknowledgement, knowing that it's it's the right way to go and, and the right decision and understanding other people's perspectives. Other times it can take weeks if there's a lot of conflict and if there's a lot of um, objections from the team or objections from various organizations or companies or clients, or if there's multiple priorities at play, it can be a very different scenario. So it really depends on the problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's not even um, a project um, that you're working on, but it's a relationship Very much. that you're building, right? Very much. I mean, sometimes it can really take years if you're focusing on building a relationship between organizations or between companies, that process can take years. What do you think gets in the way of um, a good conversation? We've talked about ego. I'm wondering if there's anything else. I think aside from ego, there's two things that can lead to barriers in conversation. One is over complexity. And I think the other one is not really understanding how 
people are feeling or really listening to others as part of that conversation. Right. And and feeling is quite an interesting one. Um, we're used to sort of the exchange of information verbally or written. Do you think we pay enough attention to feelings? I don't think that we do. And I think it's really easy in this day and age to send an email or to have a quick conversation via phone or not read body language. I really believe that having a face-to-face conversation wherever possible is important because you can uh, understand feelings and feelings are a, a big part of having a successful conversation. Understanding body language, facial expressions, um, tone of voice. Um, I think reading those expressions is really a form of listening and a form of communication. And it's part of the conversation as well. And we miss a lot of that because of of the way that we communicate today. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think also feeling very often will stop us from saying something in a meeting um, if we're not feeling safe or um, I'm not sounding as smart someone around the table. And yet our gut feeling can be incredibly precise barometers for what's going on in the room, whether we're actually addressing um, a risk effectively, whether we've even touched on what is really important to the client. I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I think that not creating that safe space uh, leaves a lot of communication and a lot of information out of the conversation. And it could be very valuable information uh, to to get alignment and, and move forward. And, you know, we all have those instincts. And we, we unfortunately, I think all of us are very good at sometimes ignoring them um, if we don't feel confident and comfortable in a room. But that takes practice and experience. Uh, and eventually, you know, you really do learn to trust your gut. And I always, always try to empower very much like my boss empowered me when I was younger. I try to do the same thing with my team and say, hey, you need, you have the ability and you know what the solution is and you should be confident about it and confident about how you feel um, as it relates to uh, your instincts. Hmm. It's finding that voice, isn't it? It's finding that, how do I say it? I, I haven't got it fully formulated in my mind, but I just have a bad feeling about this or I have, you know, concerns, um, but I can't voice them there and then. Um, what could people say if they have a feeling um, in a meeting? Let's, let's assume it's a safe environment. Um, what could they say, even if it's not well formulated in their mind? Certainly the first step is basically saying, can we stop a second and talk this through because I'm not feeling confident about what we're talking about and I think I need more clarity? Yeah. And you, we don't need to have it well articulated, right? It's But the point is the due diligence, the doing our job bit is the putting your hand up in the first place and going, hang on a second, 
something's not clear. Someone enlighten me, right? What am I missing? Exactly right. Just slowing the conversation down, simplifying the words, and understanding uh, how people are perceiving that conversation can can lead to a better conversation. And it's okay mm-hmm. to take a moment to do that in a room to get to a better result. What's your worst habit, Shalini, in a conversation? <laughs> oh, well, I'm not sure you have many. I'm no, not sure I do, you do for because sure. I, you know, <laughs> I always enjoy our conversations <laughs> and and the way that you have talked about, you know, what's important to you and your team and and for your clients and all your stakeholders shows a great deal of you know, concern and doing the right thing and getting the best outcome. So <laughs> I may be digging here. What is what is your worst com- conversation habit? Oh, I think that's a tough one. I think that I some I, I and I think this applies to everybody. Um, patience is a virtue, and <laughs> and sometimes in this day and age we have a lot to do and a lot to get done at all times and i know that everybody is on their own path to figuring out how to communicate and for me one of my values is simplicity right having a simple conversation and i know I struggle sometimes where conversations are not going well and I have trouble with patience. Um, but I have to <laughs> just remember that, that uh, you know, it takes time and energy and guidance. And um, for on my side, it takes it takes patience. Thank you for, for being, um, you know, so honest about it because it is, it gets us all, you're right. Um, you know, we can be... We can be Zen um, at the best of times, but we are only human and we have our triggers and sometimes we're under an enormous amount of stress, right? And I guess it's recognizing that, you know, if someone snaps at us or wants to move things forward faster, it may not be anything to do with us. It may be what's going on in that person's world. Very much. And um, I will go back to the words my boss told me. A dozen or so years ago, control what you can control and focus on that. You can't let the rest bother you. Right. As someone who has traveled, you've traveled extensively for pleasure, for, you know, enjoyment of culture and so on. What does that give you? I think travel is a beautiful thing. First of all, Um, it opens your eyes to how people communicate in different areas and different parts of the world and what social cues are and how much they can change from country to country and confidence levels and how much they can change and and societal norms and how much of an impact that they have in terms of how people communicate their level of comfort their level of honesty what is appropriate to bring up in a conversation and what is not appropriate to bring up in a conversation so i think overall it it sort of provides a level set in terms of expectation or the fact that there is no expectation. Um, and I think when you get, you see that and you see that variation, you get a little bit more grounded on um, how many different ways there are to communicate and there's no right or 
wrong answer. Um, and that cultural context as part of those conversations really does matter too. It certainly does. It certainly does. And um, I love your description of travel is beautiful. Is that what you said? I did, yes. It's definitely a passion. You obviously have a capacity and an interest in other cultures, right, to have traveled. How many countries have you been to? Uh, just over 60. Wow. Okay. And and I know you did that. You did a good number of those over a, a period of what, a year's travel? Yes. I took a gap year um, a few years back. It's the wonder of where where you are and the sights and the smells. And, and, and I think context is a great word. In the space of time that you must have been going from one context to another, you must have been adapting to and I can only imagine that you have to be open, very open to just finding yourself in a certain place and absorbing what's going on around you um, and not be over, feel overwhelmed by that or feel like it's too much or it's too invasive. But you actually went out and, and sought it out. Um, how much do you think that uh, interest in culture uh, and your ability to be adaptable um, plays in your work? I think it does a lot because um, when you see so much when you're traveling, you know that there's multiple ways to get to the answer or the road that you need to be on. Um, I think it builds patience. It builds adaptability, a certain amount of scrappiness, because you really sometimes don't know um, what's going on. I think it, it, it takes <laughs> uh, a conversation to a new level of simplicity if you don't understand the language. And I think it also teaches you skills in terms of um, reading people when you can't communicate. And certainly that helps me on a day-to-day -day basis because those aren't you know, skills that uh, you're certainly born with, or at least I wasn't. I think that they're learned through these various experiences, and and travel has certainly helped me uh, a great deal in in recognizing, um, like we were talking about earlier, how people are feeling when they're having those conversations. Because sometimes there isn't words. Sometimes there's only body language and and uh, you know external gestures uh, used to communicate, and that's still a conversation. Yeah, I love how you describe that. Sometimes there aren't words and it is just body language. And and if you're not present to that and you're consumed by being smart or sounding smart or or putting your point of view across or, you know, dominating a conversation, then um, you don't see those. You don't see that body language, those shifts, those, you know, micro gestures or facial expressions and so on. Um, we're not tuned into them. So, so yeah, yeah. body language, I, I personally feel body language is something we've, we are in danger of losing how to read um, because we're so reliant on digital um, and uh, not being in, you know, face to face uh, and in the same room um, to have conversations. I agree with you. And I think that means we actually have to get better at our conversation style. We have to find ways to ask the questions that um, may, you know, we, that we may not need to ask were we in the same room. 
right? So the feelings questions, the, you know, how do you feel about that um, when you actually can't be in the same room with someone and allow maybe some extra time for someone to formulate their ideas or their thoughts? Yes, it's definitely interesting. The client that I'm working on today, they have a culture of inclusiveness. And at the end of every call, they call out every person who was on the call and they simply ask as acknowledgement, are you okay with this? How did you feel about this? Can we move forward? And everybody on the call has to provide that answer. That's brilliant. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I know. So it it is with 100% certainty, everybody said yes. And it is a vocal affirmation of yes. Right. And if there's a no, we're not moving forward until there's a yes. I'm going to take that with me. I think that's fantastic. In wrapping up our conversation, which is always all too soon, what would you like people to remember from our chat today? The big key for me uh, as it relates to conversations is that conversations should be simple, but achieving simplicity isn't always necessarily easy. Brilliant. Thank you, Shalini. I really, really enjoyed catching up with you today. Thank you. This has been fun. You'll find Better Conversations with Siham Cyrene on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. Please rate the show, listen to the other episodes and tell me what you think. Email me. I'm at Siham, S-E-H-A-A-M at betterconversations.co. You'll find show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast, including more information about all my guests and how to connect with them. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Cyrene, and this has been a better conversation.